Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting, and also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. We are now 16 days, 12 hours, 6 minutes, and 50 seconds away from opening day of turkey season in Alabama. 16 days, 1-6. Today, there was snow in the forecast for the Birmingham area where I live. And that's quite unusual, even though we have had snow during turkey season before. But again, it's rare. The weather doesn't feel like turkey season's right around the corner, but my clock is telling me turkey season is right around the corner. Everywhere I turn on social media, I'm being reminded that turkey season is right around the corner, and I'm stoked and ready to go. I hope you guys are too. Don't forget when your season cranks up to send pictures of your trophies that you take this turkey season to pics, that's P-I-X, at IamTurkeyHunting.com. And I will remind you of that every week from now until turkey season's over, the end of May. P-I-X at IamTurkeyHunting.com. Give me the details. So send me a picture. Let me know where you killed the bird, what kind of bird it is, the length of the spurs, the length of the beard, the weight, and something unique about the bird. If it was your first turkey or if it's your 500th turkey, let us know a little detail about it. I will post those pictures on our Facebook page and... We'll show the world what you've been up to. All right, so you are listening to episode 25, Hunting Lockjawed Gobblers with Corby Taylor. And Corby is the host of the Wild Game Hunting Podcast, which you can catch on iTunes and Stitcher. Corby is going to tell us how he got into turkey hunting, why longbeards get lockjaw, what makes a lockjawed gobbler so hard to kill, how knowing the patterns of your turkeys can help you when the turkeys do get lockjaw, and he's going to give us some strategies for hunting those gobblers that are not talking to us. Now, you're going to hear some audio issues during this interview. I promise you I have not started fun with editing too early during the show. In fact, the audio cuts out a little bit during the show, but Corby gives us great information. I did not edit that out when it happened. So I want you guys to hear what Corby has to say. I feel like the information that he gives is very good, and it's relevant to help us kill some turkeys this turkey season. So I left it in there. Excuse the sloppiness. It's not much, but he's going to sound like Darth Vader in a couple of parts of the episode. So bear with it. Now you will hear fun with editing at the end of this podcast, right after the turkey flop. So you're going to want to be sure to stay tuned for that. 
We're going to jump right into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it, and I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Well, I'm excited today to have on the show with us Corby Taylor, who is the host of the Wild Game Hunting Podcast. And if you've listened to his show, you know that he is a big turkey hunter, and he loves to take his son out hunting, whether it's turkeys or anything else, which I think is awesome. But he loves to go out turkey hunting, and we've got that in common. Corby reached out to me recently and said, Andy, I'd love to be on the show. And so we spent some time together, figured out a good topic that Corby's going to help us cover today and see if we can give you guys some information. We are going to talk today about how to hunt a turkey that has lock jaw. And for all of you that know turkey hunting real well, you know that sometimes they don't play the way we want them to play. They just are quiet, and there are a multitude of reasons why it happens, but it sure does make the hunting a lot more difficult for us. It makes it a lot more difficult to kill a turkey. And Corby's going to give us some hints on what we can do when that gobbler has locked jaw and just can't open his mouth to utter a sound. So, Corby, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you and where are you? I am doing fantastic. I'm in the great state of Texas where I was born and raised, and, you know, it was a sunny day today. Still winter, but it's a sunny day, so it kind of reminds me of turkey season. It makes me feel like I ought to be out in the woods turkey hunting, but unfortunately, i got to wait a little bit longer, but I'm doing good. <laughs> when does season come in for you there? Right around the 1st of April, we'll be hitting it and looking forward to that. I'm definitely counting the days until we can get out in the woods. Awesome. How was the weather today? You know, it was in the 80s today. I think tomorrow it's going to be back in the 50s, so it, it's <laughs> drastic changes this time of year. But It was seriously in the 80s? It was in the 80s. Warm weather, Holy birds cow. singing. You know, you just walk out the door and you just feel like you ought to be getting in your truck and just heading to the turkey woods. But unfortunately, it's not season yet, so I couldn't do that. Wow. And we were sunny and 55 with very little wind. It was absolutely gorgeous day. So I like those kind of days myself. Well, tell us a little bit about you. And how and when you got into turkey hunting. You bet. Yeah. So like I said, I was born and raised here in Texas. Did live in Kansas for about four years. But other than that, I've lived in Texas all my life and been married to my beautiful wife, Julie, for 19 years. And we have two awesome kids. I've got a daughter who's 17 and a son that you mentioned earlier who's 12 years old. And they both like to hunt with me a lot. And my son especially, he's pretty much there every time I am. I think, you know, if I were to break down the ratio of hunts that I go on, he's probably the one that's actually hunting <laughs> when I'm with him 80% of the time, maybe 20% of the time I actually get to hunt myself, but that's okay. I definitely enjoy getting to hunt with my kids. Been a pastor for over 20 years, and like you said, it's a hunting podcast called the Wild Game Hunting Podcast. Growing up, I wish I could say that I've been turkey hunting all my life like some people have because I certainly enjoy it enough, but I didn't. I didn't get into hunting till I was in my 20s when I was an adult. I grew up with without a dad at home, a single mom, so it was just her and I growing up, and I just didn't have anybody to take me out hunting. And there's an author named John Eldridge, and I don't know if you've ever heard of the book called Wild at Heart, but there's a quote out of that book that says, every little boy is born with adventure in his heart. And I could certainly relate to that because even though I wasn't yeah. able to get out in the woods a lot, especially when I was younger and get out and hunt, that adventure and that desire to be out in the woods and to be hunting was definitely just kind of instilled inside of me when I was born. But I would I would get out, and everybody knows Cabela's now because of the retail stores, but I don't know if you remember back in the early 80s, Cabela's didn't have retail stores, but they had mail-order catalogs. 
Right. And yeah. so I would get these catalogs in the mail. And I don't think I ever actually ordered anything, but I just remember spending hours just scouring through these catalogs, looking at all the hunting stuff and wishing and dreaming and drooling about all the stuff that I could get. And whenever I was about oh, eight years old, my great grandfather bought me a BB gun and I probably, no telling how many tens of thousands of BBs I shot through that thing. I shot at everything that moved and some things that didn't. <laughs> so yeah, got a little bit older in middle school and started building live traps. Couldn't afford to go out and buy my own. So I got some welded wire by, by the foot and uh, mm-hmm. little crimpers and clips and stuff and started building my own live traps. And so I was definitely out in the woods, eventually got a little 22 rifle and a 20 gauge shotgun later. But like I said, I didn't get to hunt when I was a kid, but I was in the woods every chance that I could get. And about 10 to 12 years ago is when I actually got into turkey hunting. And I'd been hunting deer and a few other things for several years before that. But a friend of mine named Eric, he was a good buddy of mine from church. He is just kind of introducing me to a lot of the things as far as hunting goes. He's been hunting all his life. His dad had been hunting all his life. And he organized this church turkey hunt for all the men in our church. And so, like I said, I'd never turkey hunt before. I'd heard about it, thought it might be kind of interesting, but had never been. And I remember that very first hunt I was with him. We got out on that morning hunt of the first Saturday. We were on this hunt over a weekend. And he was with me because, like I said, I had no clue what I was doing. I couldn't have told you what a hen yelp sounded like, much less to be able to make one on a call. And so we got set up. He set up about probably 20 feet from me behind this little dirt mound with some brush piled up there. And just as soon as it started getting light, those gobblers started hammering back at us far off to our left, probably a couple hundred yards. And they talked back and forth to us, but they weren't interested in coming in. So we never got them in. But probably about 30 minutes after it got light, we had a gobbler about 150 yards straight out in front of us respond to our call. And he stepped out into a kind of a clear cut where they do power lines, you know, where they kind of go through right. and mow it down and turkeys mm-hmm. like to hang out in there. And I remember seeing that thing for the first time, just hearing him and he was 150 yards away, but that gobble sounded like it was like just going down my throat. You know, it was, it was such a yeah. cool sound. So we had a couple of decoys out and that bird just started coming in. He would strut and then he'd take a few steps and he'd strut and gobble and take a few steps. And he did that all the way in. And my heart was just beating out of my chest. And as he got to our decoys, I flipped off my safety. Eric later said he heard me flip off the safety and he was just waiting for that gun to go off. And by now, my heart's like beating out of my throat. I can't even breathe because uh-huh. there's just something special about having a bird that close to you, hearing him drumming and just seeing him strutting and puffing up like that. And so I had all these things in my mind that I'd read about because I like to research stuff and I'm a detailed guy. So I'd read all this stuff about turkey hunting and some of the things I'd read is you need to wait till they're out of strut, so they're heads up, so you got a bigger target, and wait till they're away from your decoy, so you won't shoot your decoy. So I was waiting for all these things to line up perfectly, and after about 30 seconds, he, he got tired of sitting there and trying to figure out what was up with these decoys, and he started moving off to the left, and I started moving my gun to the left, and I made a rookie mistake. <laughs> there was a branch right in my way, and I couldn't swing my gun, uh, and I knew yeah. my time was about to be, be over, and I knew I better shoot now or I'm not going to get a shot. But anyway, by the time I moved my gun around, he was gone. So that was the first hunt I ever went on. Totally didn't even get a shot, but what it did for me is I fell in love with turkey hunting. Absolutely. Um, every spring since then, I've turkey hunted. Some fall seasons, I'll do it as well. And like I said, there's just nothing that compares to the sound of that big tom gobbling back to your calls coming into your setup, getting him close enough where you can hear him drumming. 
It's absolutely amazing. And I got into turkey hunting so much that I think about five or six years ago, I actually bought a shotgun exclusively designated for turkey hunting. Up to then, I'd been changing out my chokes, my sights, whether I was pheasant hunting or dove hunting or whatever. And I just thought, you know, I love turkey hunting so much. I'm going to get a designated turkey shotgun. So got me one and that's by far my favorite gun that's in the closet. So anyway, that's a little bit about me and how I got into the turkey hunting world. And I'm totally eat up with it, just like you are. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, I got my gun out of the gun safe one day last week and just held on to her. (laughs) (laughs) Just convincing her, coaxing her that season was quickly approaching and just sit tight that we would be out in the woods together soon. And my wife's looking at me like I'm a complete idiot. And I probably am. (laughs) But, you know. Maybe she's a little jealous. I'm sure. I am sure she is. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great story. And I have heard several stories told by people who, when they were on their first hunt, got to see something similar to what you did with a turkey coming in from such a long distance away and watching that turkey strut and gobble coming in. And then when the turkey gets in range, they're just awestruck. They forget that they're there. It's like they're watching something on TV and the turkey turns and gets suspicious and turns and walks off. So I can totally relate to that. And I think everybody listening to the show can as well. What I recommend to people that are just getting into turkey hunting is go with someone else the first time. You'll still experience all of that same thing, the turkey gobbling. You'll hear the calls, hear him come in, let him come into range, and just watch somebody else shoot it. And at least you've had some experience and let some of the nerves kind of die off before you actually have to do it yourself. But, of course, there's nothing like actually calling in your own bird and shooting your first bird that you've called in yourself. But I always yeah. say, go with someone else the first time. Watch what they do. Watch when they call. Watch when they don't call. Watch how they're looking at that bird and reading his reaction. And you'll learn a lot by going with somebody else. But one of the big things you do is you kind of get those jitters and nerves worked out of your system just a little bit. True indeed. Yeah, for those of you that have the opportunity to go with someone who is experienced, absolutely do that. And for those of you who don't, Keep listening to the show. That's right. That's what you're here for. (laughs) We'll try to educate you without actually going with you, even though I would love to go with you. Well, I explained it a little bit, but explain a little bit more detail what a lockjaw gobbler is and why they are so difficult to kill. Yeah, well, so a lockjaw gobbler is, I think, just a term that we turkey hunters have picked up to describe a turkey that isn't gobbling back at you, that isn't talking back to you, isn't responding to your calls and like I mentioned earlier, the, the thrill of, of hunting turkeys, or one of the thrills, is just being able to hear that gobble and just how cool it sounds. It's an amazing experience that is. And when they're not cooperating with us and they're not talking, we tend to give them that phrase or that title, lockjaw gobbler. And, of course, it comes from the medical condition of tetanus, which we've all heard of when we step on a nail when we were a kid and had to get your tetanus shot because if you didn't, your jaw's going to lock up in place because your the muscles will tighten up and wouldn't be able to talk. So that's where we get the term from. But there's some times when you'll hear 40, 50 gobbles in the morning, and there's some mornings you'll just hear nothing. And that doesn't mean that, that they're not there. They're still there. And it doesn't mean you can't kill them if they're not talking to you. But for various reasons, they're just not gobbling very much, if at all. And that can be very frustrating for one reason. One, like I mentioned, we love to hear them gobble. (laughs) We really do. Mm -hmm. And two, you know, when we can't pinpoint where they are and if they're coming to us or not, it can be frustrating and be a little more difficult as far as the hunt goes. But Tom's gobbling, like I said, is one of the few advantages that we have over the turkeys because they can see so well and hear so well and everything. At least if we know where they're at by them gobbling in response, it's kind of an advantage that we have. When we're out there hunting them, but they're not talking, it can be a lot more difficult to be successful in bagging a turkey. 
Very true. What are some of the reasons that the gobblers get lockjaw? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons. And let me give you four reasons that I've experienced in the woods, if I could. Just reasons why I believe and have experienced why gobblers get silent. First reason is he's a big, mature tom. And a four- to five-year-old bird, there's a lot of things he's gone through that some of these younger birds haven't gone through. And the old saying, whether it's deer or turkey, they get that old for a reason. Right. They've learned how to adapt. They've learned how to avoid danger. And there's, there's different. they've learned what to do and what not to do. And big, mature tom that's four to five years old or even older if it survives that long may have been shot at all his life by hunters, especially if it's on public land. And every spring, they, whether he's been in shot at, he's heard guns go off or... Even if it's not the actual gun, you just experience a lot of pressure in the woods because unlike deer hunting, where in deer hunting, you kind of just go to your stand for the most part and sit there and wait for the deer to come by and you shoot them. With turkey hunting, and this is kind of one of the reasons I love turkey hunting so much, is you can get up and walk around. If you don't have something there, you can, 45 minutes later, you can get up and move to a different spot and try to find them. My point is they've seen hunters walking through the woods every spring for several years by the time they get that old. And They've just learned to just be quiet because I've never heard a Tom gobbling while he's running away from me. <laughs> they get quiet when they do that. So if they feel pressured or they've been shot at, then they get quiet. That's one reason. You know, also a big mature Tom, he may have heard a lot of bad calling by hunters in the woods. And there's sometimes of the year that the worst caller in the world can get out there and every turkey in the woods will gobble back. But those wise birds that are mature like that, they've heard a lot of bad calling and my belief is they're turkeys. They know what a turkey is supposed to sound like. And you know as well as I do, Andy, when you first pick up a mouth call or even a slate call and use it for the first time, it doesn't sound very good. <laughs> and, and if you've got somebody out in the woods that's that's new or and just hasn't practiced very much, then sometimes that can be a reason that a big tom will just shut up and get quiet because he's not liking what he's hearing. Yeah. Another reason for a big tom getting quiet is he's learned through the years that predators hear him when he's gobbling. I've experienced this a lot, and even with my calling, doing hen yelps and cuts and stuff, I've probably called in as many coyotes as I have turkeys <laughs> coming into my, my calling. And yeah. to a coyote or a bobcat or whatever, a hen yelping or a tom gobbling, that's a dinner bell to them. So they've learned that that signals predators to come find them, so they learn that. And also, like I said, he's, just, he's older and wiser, and he's learned a lot. He knows when he needs to talk and when not to waste his breath, so... So that's the first reason why turkey may be silent and get that locked jaw, as we call it. Another situation is that the turkey is a younger subordinate gobbler. And I'm not just talking about jakes. The jakes are the year-and-a-half-year-old birds that are have the tail feathers that are irregular shaped and very short beard and small spurs and easily identifiable when you see them. But I'm talking about even two- and three-year-old birds, the toms that are younger like that. They may be subordinate to the older, mature birds, and they've been picked on, they've been spurred at, they've been <laughs> yelled at by the older dominant birds, and they just don't want to get beat up, so they'll get quiet. They'll sneak around the woods and get quiet, because if they start gobbling, obviously the older birds are going to know where they're at, and they're going to try to come beat them up. So I think that's part of the reason why a younger bird might be quiet. And But you know, the yeah. good news is, is they'll often come into your calling, even though they're not talking to you, they'll still come into your calling, and of course they're going to sneak in on you and surprise you, and, and you had no idea they're coming. I actually had a situation where this happened a few years back. I was hunting here in Texas with a good friend of mine, Mike Casey, and we were set up on this great place where we had a lot of turkey movement a few days before that. And we'd called and called, and it was one of those mornings where we weren't getting anything. And um, we'd kind of just gotten to the point where we're just going to give up and 
you know, it's fixing to get up and move to a different spot. And so we laid our guns down. We took our face mask off and we were right beside each other. We started talking quietly. And then about 20 seconds later, I hear over to my right that putt sound. And I'm not talking about the cluck. I'm talking about the putt, which turkey hunters hate to hear that alarm putt because that means that 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 gobbler has seen you. He's recognized you as danger. And probably even worse than that is he's just signaled every other turkey within a quarter of a mile to get out of there because there's there's danger. So never heard him. He never gobbled, never heard him come in. He just popped out probably 20, 25 yards and, of course, didn't get a shot on him. But so they'll sneak in like that. He was probably one of those two or three year old subordinate gobblers that had been getting picked on and decided he'd sneak in and try to figure out where this hen was that he was hearing. A third reason why a gobbler, you know, may get locked jaw and get quiet is he's with hens. And this is something that can be very frustrating to turkey hunters is I've seen this many times when you've got a tom or even a few toms maybe with a big group of hens and there's no reason for him to gobble because he's got what he wants right there. <laughs> he's, right. There's no need to talk back and forth and try to locate a hen. He's got him right there. He's not going to come to us and give up a sure thing for this maybe that he's hearing off in the woods when he's got one or two or even six hens right there with him. So that's yeah. definitely another situation that may get them quiet because they just, again, don't have any need to need to gobble because they've got what they want there with the hens. And then the fourth thing that I think is pretty common in a typical turkey season is bad weather. And in my experiences, really cold and really hot weather, it doesn't really change the the way that how vocal they are. But when you get a day that's real rainy or real windy, they tend to get real quiet and shut down on you. So anyway, so those are some of the reasons that, at least in my experiences out in the woods, that a gobbler will get quiet and get what we call lockjaw. Yeah. When they get lockjaw and they're not giving their location away, how beneficial is it to know what that turkey or those turkeys that are on your property are going to do, how beneficial is it to know their habits and their patterns? Yeah, I think that that's, that can be a great advantage to you. It's one thing to go out in the woods and have no idea where turkeys are and what they're doing and why they're going to go from one place to another. I mean, just get lucky and they respond to a call and he comes in. But if you really want to have the leg up and have the advantage on it, I think that if you'll really know the, the habits of, of what it turkey does throughout a normal day and then the patterns that they go what time of the day they are different places on your property it's certainly going to be to your advantage turkeys just like a lot of things are creatures of habit and Mm -hmm. if we can be where they want to be and where we know they're going to be if we'll get there first you're probably going to kill a bird whether they gobbled or not and there are things that i believe a turkey would do on a typical day pretty much every day some of the things that you want to look for is roosting areas Every single night, a turkey is going to fly up on a tree limb somewhere and roost, and then they're going to fly down. So if you can locate their roost trees and figure out where they're at, that's certainly going to be something to your advantage. I like to find real tall trees that have plenty of roomy, horizontal branches, as I call it, plenty of room for them to roost on. Usually over water, it can be a creek. It can even be a dry creek bed. They still love that for some reason. So if you can find the roosting areas, that's certainly the place to start. Also, if you look for feeding areas, they're going to eat. They're going to eat almost all day. So find where they're going to eat at. Down here in Texas, we have a lot of fields. I know where you're at there, Andy, in Alabama, you probably have a lot more of the woods that you hunt out of. But there's a lot of fields here. My favorite thing to look for when I'm looking for a feeding area for turkey is a field that has, or at least just, just some small area that has some short green grass. And that tells me a couple of things. One is there's probably going to be some seeds in there. There's going to be some young sprouts from the grass and the different things that are popping up. 
that the turkeys love to eat. And also the short, green, healthy grass is where all the insects are. So the grasshoppers and other bugs they're going to eat. So you want to look in those areas when you're just walking around. If you see short green grass that looks like it could be good, you want to look for tracks. You want to look for scratchings in the dirt. So that's a great way to see if that's a feeding area. So roosting areas, feeding areas, watering areas, obviously they're going to drink water at some point. So check out the ponds, the creeks, the lakes, rivers, things like that. Look for tracks and droppings around the water's edge. Dusting areas are great places that they're going to hit at some point during the day. I like to look for dirt or sandy areas near field edges, circular areas that look like somebody made like a snow angel is the best way I could describe it, where they've dusted. And it's pretty cool if you've ever seen them. Yeah, there you go. Crop circles. That's what's (laughs) causing all those. (laughs) But yeah, and then strut zones. Strut zones are going to be places where they'll fly off the roost and they'll go strut around and try to show off for the ladies. And a lot of times that'll be at a field edge or on a dirt road or something like that. And you want to look for obviously tracks and then the strut marks, the drag marks that they'll make whenever they're dragging their wings in the dirt. So anyway, those are just some things that the typical day a turkey's going to hit all these. And so if you can just figure out where those things are and know that that's what they do in a typical day, try to figure out where it is, be there, and eventually they're going to come across and hopefully you'll get one. Yeah. And one thing to do too that I'll add to that is when you do discover where those turkeys are going, it's not a bad idea just to throw up a game camera and try to figure out when they're coming into those areas. You know, it's, I'm not against cheating a little bit. I figure <laughs> the turkeys are a lot smarter than I am. They have better eyesight and know the woods a lot better than I do. If I can get any sort of an advantage, I'll use it. Absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people just use the trail cameras for deer, but I'll tell you what, I'll definitely break them out in the spring and a couple of years ago. And when I lived in Kansas, I, the limit was two turkey for every spring and you know, I was actually bow hunting. So I killed one in the morning with my bow and then killed one in the evening with my bow. So limited out on the first day with my bow and, uh, and I knew they were there cause I had trail cameras out and I figured out when they were coming and knew that they were there. So that, yeah, that worked out good. Yeah. And I would say, especially for bow hunters, yep. the game cameras are, are a huge benefit for them because you do have to sit in a blind so much and, you want to be sure that you're sitting somewhere that the turkeys are using to maximize your time in the woods. Absolutely. What are some of the strategies that you use when you're hunting silent gobblers? We talked about putting up game cameras. So if that's in your list, you can definitely cover it again and give some tips about what you do with them. But what do you do? Well, some of the things that I've done when I've tried to get, get after those silent gobblers is, there's a period of the season when the mornings can get real quiet and you don't hear a whole lot of gobbling. You may hear some right off the roost and it just seems like it just gets deathly quiet for the rest of the morning. So my suggestion uh, strategy that I like to implement is to really hunt hard from about 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Of course, if your state allows, some states don't allow you to hunt past a certain time, but here in Texas, you can hunt all day. And the reason for that is, um, you know, hens are going to go sit on their nest later in the morning. This is, of course, a little bit further in the season when the breeding's going on and the hens are going to breed. They're going to go lay an egg about once, one egg a day. And once they have about 10 to 12 eggs in the nest, then they're going to go sit on those eggs for about 28 days until they hatch. So a hen will spend the morning eating and drinking and dusting and all the things that a turkey does. And then about 10 or 11 o'clock, they're going to go sit on their nest for the majority of the day and up until that point, 
a gobbler had hens all around him because they're eating, they're dusting everywhere he's at, they're at. And then all of a sudden they've gone off and slipped off in the woods and they're sitting on their nest and there's not as many ladies to go around, so to speak. And they can get a little more desperate. And so a lot of times I found that even though you may have had a silent morning, they've been super quiet all morning and you may feel like, man, this day's a bust, not going to be any good. Think about the time of the year it is and if it's that peak breeding time where they're going to be you know, going off to their nests. And it may be just that having a little bit of patience and waiting a little later in the morning may get you a gobbler in there that's, that's going to be coming in after all his ladies are on the nest. And actually, the biggest bird that I've shot to date came in exactly like I just described. I was hunting some public land in Kansas a few years back. And, of course, lots of pressure on this land because there's hunters everywhere. And I'd gone out with a buddy of mine named Jerry, and he's been turkey hunting for 30 years or so, just super good at it. And he knew all the area that we were hunting, like the back of his hand. And so we went out to this particular place and he actually shot one right off the roost in the morning. I didn't have anything in range that I could get. So we started driving around, driving around. Long story short, it was about 11 o'clock in the morning. And I said, you know what, why don't you just find me a place where I can just nestle in and get still and just wait out for a couple hours. And I'll call every once in a while and see if I can do any good. And so he told me about this place that sometimes he sees them later in the morning and he dropped me off and I probably walked about a 300 yards to get to this place and I got settled in and sure enough, this hen came out about 60 yards out in front of me and actually it was a bearded hen. So I was kind of cool, but cool. I was watching it and, um, I was calling about every 15 or 20 minutes like I would normally do on a typical setup like that and didn't hear a single gobble. In fact, I never heard a gobble the whole time. And she wasn't real interested in what I had to say either. She'd kind of look over there once in a while. But, of course, I was tucked back in some trees there, and she never saw mm -hmm. me. And so I just kept calling 15, 20 minutes. And after about 30 to 40 minutes, I look over to my left, and I see this bright red neck about 20 yards from me. And it, it, he'd come out. And, of course, he'd heard my calling. And there's nothing better than a live decoy out in front of you. So Very he, true. he'd heard the call. He had slipped in saw that hen and he was making his way over to her, but he never made a sound the entire time. And I think it was because he had probably been with some other hens somewhere else and then got desperate and started looking around and heard one calling. And even though he didn't make any noise, he came in. And so that was, like I said, my biggest bird to date and had a lot of fun hunting it. That's an awesome story. I love that. I think another strategy that I would suggest, and I mentioned this earlier about gobblers getting henned up, as we call it, is calling to the hens instead of calling to the gobbler. And this mm -hmm. is pretty well known across the hunting world, turkey hunting world, but it can definitely be one of those things to implement when the gobblers have gotten quiet. He may not be interested in your calls because, like I said, he's with, with hens. He's got what he wants right there. But if you can call to the hen and get the hen to come to you, then he's going to follow you. It's like anything mm -hmm. else, whether we're talking about turkeys or deer or humans, wherever the girls go, the boys follow, right? And so, Very true. And so... If I hear a hen responding to my calling, whether I see him or I'm not, and I've, I've been in the situation where I've seen those gobblers with hens and they're not talking, but if I can get a hen to talk back to me, whether I see her or not, I'm going to call as loud or even a little bit louder and more aggressive than she is. And my hope is that I'm going to make her mad enough to come to me. So if she's yelping, I'm going to yelp a little bit louder and a little bit harder. If she's cutting a little bit. I'm going to cut a little bit louder, a little bit more aggressive. And again, just the desire, the hope is that she's going to get mad and she's going to want to come over and pick a fight with this quote hen that's trying to mm -hmm. steal her boys over there. And of course, if she comes in, the gobblers are going to follow. So 
that's something that might work as well. Another strategy that I try to implement when I've gotten some silent gobblers in the woods. One example of that is I was out with a friend of mine named Jeff several years back, and it was his first time to ever go turkey hunting. It was his first hunt. And we were sitting on the edge of this huge field. And I mean, when I say huge, it was four to 600 yards across. I don't even know how far it was. It was a long ways over there. And we were sitting up against on this field edge facing the field, and there was actually a river behind us. And our hope was that maybe some gobblers were going to be coming in to roost somewhere around there, but we didn't really know where they would be. And being that big of a field, of course, I'm every few minutes I'm picking up my binoculars and I'm glassing the fields. And all the way at the other side of the field, I see turkeys come out. And, of course, they're blobs over there at that point, so I have to really look really good. But I realized that there was one big mature tom, and there was about five jakes and then about three or four hens, and they're all grouped up together. And we had decoys out in front of us, and they came out. And so I called and didn't get a gobble, but... I saw the hens kind of turn and start walking towards us. And I Mm. thought, okay, this might work. So they came about probably 75 yards and they kind of stopped and they looked like they were going to peel off and start going another direction. So I called again and the hens came. And of course, the Jakes and the Toms following these hens all the way. So we did this same game back and forth and they covered the entire distance of that field. The hens were in the lead and the Jakes and and the Tom were following them. And the Tom never made a noise. In fact, Jakes never did either. They never gobbled. They came all the way into our setup. Now, when they did get there, the hens and the jakes came right to our decoys. And the Tom, he decided he was going to hang up about 60 yards and just see what they were going to do and say, hey, when y'all are done playing, y'all can come back over here to me, I guess, because he didn't come in. He wouldn't commit. And after a little bit of waiting, I realized, you know, this he's not going to come in to give Jeff an opportunity. So he was okay with taking a jake since he'd never shot one before. So he yeah. shot one and actually shot two with one shot. So his oh, his awesome. first turkey hunt was a was a double. So that was pretty cool. But but yeah, yeah. you know the moral of that story is you know I, I called the hens all the way to me and never heard a sound from the gobblers. But if the hens are coming, the gobblers are going to follow. So that's another good strategy that I like to implement. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of episode twenty five. Hunting Lockjawed Gobblers with Corby Taylor, where Corby is going to give us some calling strategies for lockjawed gobblers, and he's going to share with us the story of his most memorable turkey hunt and what made that hunt so special. Don't forget to go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and leave me a review, and also subscribe to the podcast. That way, you'll be sure to get the most current episode automatically on your phone. It doesn't cost a dime to subscribe and it's very easy to do. So that's all for this week. Don't forget that we have fun with editing coming up after the turkey flop. I appreciate you guys tuning in. I know you have choices and I appreciate you spending some time with us. I hope you guys have a great week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening.
We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week. Hey, and welcome back to Fun With Editing. This is a new segment that I'm doing at the end of each show where I take certain parts of the interview and have a little bit of fun with the audio editing software that I use. It's a short clip that I'm doing at the end of the show each week. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do putting it together. And now since you've listened to the show in its entirety, you already know that no animals were harmed in the recording of this part of the show and that the thoughts and opinions expressed in Fun With Editing are not necessarily the thoughts and opinions of the Turkey Hunter podcast, its affiliates, or its guest. All clips played in this part of the show are fake. You never heard this here. Enjoy. They'll fly off the roost where all the insects are. He's recognized you as danger because I've never heard a Tom gobbling while he's running away from me. (laughs) I can totally relate to that. And turkeys are a lot smarter than I am. There's a period of the season when there's not as many ladies to go around. I'd gone out with a buddy of mine named Jerry, and he was making his way over to her, and my heart was just beating out of my chest. She wasn't real interested in what I had to say either. Wow. I am sure she is. A turkey's going to fly up on a tree limb somewhere. They're going to eat. They're going to eat almost all day. They tend to get real quiet. Wherever the girls go, the boys follow. If you really want to have the leg up, check out the ponds, the creeks, the lakes, rivers. You want to look for crop circles. You want to look for snow angels. So I flipped off my safety. I couldn't have told you what a hen yelp sounded like. That's an awesome story. Crop circles. That's in your list, which I think is awesome. You are wishing and dreaming and drooling about snow angels. Totally didn't even get a shot, but... My wife's looking at me like I'm a complete idiot, and there are a multitude of reasons why it happens. I probably am. (laughs) They're just awestruck. You are the worst caller in the world. Wow. Heads up. Shoot it. I'm not against cheating a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit.